Hey everybody, welcome to The Press. My name is Darnay Tripp. Coming up on episode two, Brian Stelter, host of Reliable Sources, Sunday mornings on CNN. Thank you so much for listening. Would love to hear what you think of the first two episodes. Pass along your thoughts in the reviews. I'll be sure to check them out. My first memory of Brian Stelter was at WMJF, the campus TV station at Towson University, where we both graduated in the class of 2007. I have the strange memory of him in during one of their news shows of doing like a weather hit or something like that. It must have been a rainy day and they needed, you know, the, the, the freshmen to do a weather hit outside of the building where they had the campus TV station. And of course, we don't have the best gear. You don't have rain gear. We're not built for the elements. So I have this memory of him standing like outside either a window or a door doing a weather hit, but with the camera inside. So it's like wired through. So they're shooting him through a window or something like that. Like very strange, but like very campus TV station type of stuff. He didn't work there for very long, which maybe sounds weird because now he works for CNN, but he kind of went the newspaper out, which ended up serving him very well. We both worked for the campus newspaper, the Tower Light, um, which as far as I'm concerned, we seem to do a great job there. The Tower Light was uh, a, a pretty legit college uh, newspaper, and it definitely helped me out as I kind of went on in, in my career. Brian was the editor, editor-in-chief there, was a very serious newsman, even as a college kid. He started a blog in college called TV Newser, which just blew up and earned him a job at the New York Times right out of college. He's the guy that, like, I got my first job in TV a couple months out of graduation, after graduation. He's the guy, like, especially early in your career when you feel like you're kind of killing it, then you remember you graduated with a kid that got a job at the Times at a school and his own show on CNN, like, before he's 30. He set the bar pretty high, but well-deserved and has done a great job. And it's been a lot of fun, really, just to kind of see the way his career has taken off. Always great having a chance to kind of pick his brain on things, especially all that's going on these days at the White House. Got into that a bit, but talk mostly about just kind of the overall media climate, some news, recent news about ESPN and Twitter, some other things, future of local news. So I hope you enjoy episode two of The Press with Brian Stelter. How have things been, uh, considering a, f- a fairly major life change coming up here in a couple of weeks? <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Uh, things. Uh, I, uh, this is the calm before the storm, because we're about to have our first baby. I, I feel like uh, it, it's fun knowing that the whole world's about to change and not knowing exactly how or <laughs> when. Or <laughs> uh, it, it's a it's a fun mystery. So we're almost there. And she's doing well, Jamie. Uh, yeah, I, you know, she at the nine month mark, I think every woman is ready for it to be over. But she, um, she's uh, she's as patient as possible under the circumstances. And how are you dealing with all of that? I mean, it's obviously a completely different situation for you than it is for her. But knowing that's on the way, and you're going to have to be juggling that with all the responsibilities you deal with on a daily basis, anyways. Yeah, I like knowing that I like knowing that there's going to be a before and an after and that you know, this is going to be a bright line drawn in my in my life. The uh we moved uh closer to my work, which will make it a little more convenient to get back and forth. Uh so I like that. And uh other than that, I really don't know. 
I mean, how, how many hours a day do you think you're putting in between your responsibilities on there? You're putting together the newsletter. It seems like uh, all hours that I'm up on the West Coast, you're, you're doing stuff. Well, the, that's the goal. The goal is to make it look like I'm always working <laughs> even when I'm not. You're scheduling tweets, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm buffering. Exactly. I'm buffering tweets so that it looks like I'm tweeting late at night, you know, for the West Coast audience. I buffer tweets early in the morning for the East Coast. Uh, some of it, some of it is, uh, some of it is perception, but most of it is reality. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I don't work hard. Um, the, uh, the news cycle sort of dictates it. And right now we're in a interesting busy cycle. I was going to, I was going to say, I also think that like Twitter and I think Twitter and Facebook allow allow people to have a, a sense of like, of how active you are, you know? Sure. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, a hundred days into the presidency, you mentioned Sunday, six months since the election. Has it been crazier <laughs> since Trump has really taken over even more than he already had the headlines and the news cycle? Uh, maybe not crazier, but I think there's still a, a heightened state of interest among some people, a heightened state of anxiety, among other people, a heightened exuberance about what the president's doing and what he's up to. Uh, everybody's sort of above average or, or more um, interested than, than maybe usual, even though we're, we're six months past Election Day and, and more than three months into his presidency. We've probably come down a bit from some of the highs that we were experiencing collectively in January and February. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, maybe not a lot, I think some liberals would, would say that they're less fearful than they were on January 20th. I think some Trump fans would say they're less enthusiastic than they were on January 20th, but there's still this above-average interest overall. that make it more fun for you? It makes it busier, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you can feel in the television ratings and in the page views that there is elevated interest, that there's people paying attention and, and hungry for coverage of the story. And, I, well, you know, what I think is fascinating about this moment is it's, a, you know, it's an American identity crisis. It's a it's a battle over what the country is and what the country is going to be. The, so it's a very big what's going on is a very big thing, and I don't think you could always make that case, say in 2006 or even 2011. You know, like certainly every president brings in, uh, uh, you know, there there are high stakes to every presidency, but this moment I think everybody feels it feels different. I mean, I know you. We, we, we go back a long time, and I know you've always taken what you do very seriously. Is there a heightened level of responsibility, though, just from your standpoint, knowing that? Well, I'm wearing ties on the air now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, to some degree, yeah. You know, I have an hour on Sunday mornings on CNN, and I view that as a, um, as a privilege, and I want to make sure I make the most of that time and not waste it. You know, that's my frustration in general with television, sometimes the frustration I feel about myself and sometimes when I'm watching uh, news channels or something else, which is we have uh, a big audience, uh, big story that's going on, and great tools to cover it. And when we live up to that, you know, the results are tremendous and, and really um, uh, worth celebrating. Yeah, when when I feel like I get off the air and I and I didn't make the bigger point that I didn't zoom out and help people understand what's going on, then I'm disappointed in myself because I feel like I fell short of this of this moment. So I definitely sense that more than I did, you know, maybe two years ago. 
what's the challenge just in making sure all sides are represented? Because that's ultimately the goal. And you and I spoke previously just about how prior to the election, maybe there was a lot we didn't know about his impact on the American people and uh, everything that he kind of drummed up. It, it flew under the radar to some extent prior to the election, given how it all played out. Is there just a, a heightened awareness for you just on the importance of making sure we hear every angle we, we need to hear, every, you know, everybody's represented, so to speak? Yeah, there was definitely an Acela corridor bias in the primary coverage, at least. I think there were some improvements by the general election. But if you think back to the summer and fall of 2015, there was this um, uh, kind of conventional wisdom that came out of New York and Washington that ended up being quite wrong, both about Republicans and about Democrats. Uh, you know, my, one, of, one of my biggest regrets from 2015, from the primaries, before people even voted, was, was not taking Bernie Sanders seriously enough. Uh, and, and the same could be said on the right uh, with regards to Trump. Um, I was glad that we spent a lot of time in, in my hour on CNN talking about Trump and his impact and what made him different. Uh, but there were still some segments that were framed as, okay, when's this going to be over? When's he going to go back to The Apprentice? So uh, there, there were those sorts of uh, errors um, or, or kind of misperceptions early on in the primaries. And um, I think some of that comes from booking uh, uh, a greater variety of people. But that's not the only way to account for, you know, uh, conventional wisdom. Uh, but certainly, you know, it's, it's, one, it's one piece of it. I, I really enjoyed a couple weeks ago having uh, a pro-Trump commentator, Jason Miller, a former campaign aide, on with three journalists around the table. And uh, I got some flack from some viewers who said, why are you having a, you know, a partisan commentator on with real journalists? And I said, because 40% of the country believes Jason Miller more so than they believe these journalists. And seeing that discussion and seeing that tension is, is what's going on in the country right now. Uh, it's a problem that we've got to wrestle with uh, in, in, in the business. On one hand, he's, Trump has been really accessible, right? Like more so than some previous presidents? To, to some degree, yeah. You know, accessible in some shades, more accessible to friendly outlets than to uh, you know, big newsrooms that are trying to cover him fully. You know, I, I'm, of course, sitting here at CNN, I would say that Fox is Trump's favorite network, and it's where he gives the most interviews. And it's not just Fox, it's specific shows on Fox that are more opinionated, that are more friendly to him, that aren't going to scrutinize him the way that I think they should. But, uh, but he is accessible via Twitter and via some interviews. Uh, you know, whether accessibility matters that much is, the, I think, the issue. Accessibility only matters to the degree that you think you're getting credible information from the person. And that's been the issue maybe for the first three months. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you is kind of balancing the, the accessibility and the fact that you see him on various platforms, but m maybe have to read between the lines a little bit more. I, you've spoken about it on your show, just kind of seeking the truth and trying to be able to you know figure out if what he's saying you can actually believe. I mean, that, that's, that's a bit right. of a tricky conundrum, right? Yeah, I think the common theme uh, of the first few months of this presidency is honesty and dishonesty, uh, which all comes back to credibility, whether folks that are listening to this trust what the president's saying. Now, obviously, media folks have credibility problems, too. We've got our own trust issues to address. Uh, but I think that that's very true at the White House right now with regards to the kind of the tendency to, to mislead or confuse 
Uh, we see that on Trump's Twitter feed a lot. Uh, it just makes it an interesting challenge for journalists, and I, and I think journals are rising to that challenge quite a bit. Uh, I think we see a lot of aggressive fact-checking going on right now. This is a good time for journalism. There's there's all that, you know, uh, you know, people talking about subscribing to your local newspapers and all that since right. the, the, the election and just uh, maybe a greater awareness, a greater appreciation. Uh, what's it been like from your standpoint? Hmm. There is definitely something that's changed uh, with regards to how readers and viewers talk about news. And what, what I mean by that is a lot of CNN anchors will tell you that people come up to us and say, thank you, in a way that isn't, <laughs> isn't normal, uh, that, did, that didn't used to happen. Now, those viewers are probably uh, wary of Trump, worried about Trump, skeptical of Trump, and they want to see real journalism on display right now. Um, there are probably other viewers who think that there's too many Trump critics on the airwaves and you know, want a different tone to the coverage. So I recognize not everybody is saying thanks, but, but there is something different right now. People are more aware of journalism's role uh, holding government accountable. And, and I think as Jake Tapper has said, let's just make sure this continues for the next 50 presidents. <laughs> hmm. That if, if journalists were maybe uh, a little less aggressive than they should have been in past years, whether that was in 2003 in the run-up to the Iraq War, or whether it was in 2010 when Obamacare was being debated, uh, let's let's have this new this current stance toward power continue, whether Trump or, or whoever is past Trump is in office. How the media covers the president is always going to be one of the key elements of your show. Do, do you think, like you mentioned, you have an hour every Sunday morning? Do you think a greater percentage of your content has been Trump-related in the last six months than you know during Obama's presidency? Definitely, in some ways. The Trump campaign was the Trump show, and, and now the Trump presidency has turned all of our shows into the Trump show, uh, whether that's on CNN or, or other channels as well. Uh, the, the reality is that there's so much news being made, so many precedents being set or broken, uh, so many shocking and newsworthy things happening that uh, Trump has, has consumed the nation's news diet in a, in a way that past presidents have not. Um, partly that's because of his celebrity quotient, his reality show background. There's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, partly it's his historic unpopularity. There's a lot of reasons why he's dominated the news cycle, but he definitely has. Uh, and, and that's true for my hour as well. I don't want to spend too much time talking Trump with you because I figure you do enough of that through the course of your uh, your day to day. I was curious yeah. though, you know, it, say you did a month of reliable sources uh, without Trump or with minimal Trump. I mean, if if you could do that and just kind of go off in whatever direction you wanted to, what would you want to explore? Like, if you had ideas out there that you could just delve into, um, and putting aside that that hunger for Trump coverage. What type of stuff do you think you'd like to get into? Uh, I think one uh, that comes to mind that's, that's actually a reflection of the Trump age, but not about the president himself, is uh, liberal media reactions to what's going on in Washington. Uh, the tendency sometimes to get a little conspiratorial, the way that uh, folks on the left sometimes accuse the right of being. Uh, there's been a, a sort of a whole change in the ecosystem of media outlets on the left and the right as a result of the Trump presidency. So there are stories like that that are a step or two away from what's happening in Washington that are, are very big and newsworthy on the beat. 
And then, you know, in terms of media coverage, you know, the stuff that we're doing on the website every day, the changes in local newsrooms, uh, look at Gannett recently laying off people and not even saying how many they laid off. Uh, look at uh, ESPN recently. Look at a lot of the growth at uh, various websites and, and who's being hired for what jobs and why. You know, there's a lot of storylines there uh, about you know some digital newsrooms staffing up, you know, all those sorts of issues. And I think the the overarching kind of biggest story that I'm try like, I would like to have more time telling, and I I think we do tell it, but I wish I had more time telling it, is about people increasingly living in their own alternative realities, um, their own, whether you call it an echo chamber or a filter bubble, this increasing ability to, uh, to close yourself off and only read news that you agree with, only read news that makes you feel good, only read news that reinforces your own views. Now, that has some relation to the Trump presidency, of course, but it's so much bigger than that. Uh, it's something that's a, a trend over the course of decades that, that we're seeing. And I think we all sort of feel it happening in our own Facebook feeds and feel that it might be getting worse. It's hard. I don't know, Darnay, maybe you have a story like this. It's hard for me to get my arms around that trend on television. It's such a big thing that's happening over a slow period of time. But I'm always trying to find ways to get at that, get at that idea that we're, we're stuck in these echo chambers and that they're, they're hurting people. Does that make it feel like for you, you have less of an opportunity to, you know, open people's eyes or reach a broader audience because maybe you feel like you're talking to people that agree with you rather than, right. you know, being it, accessible to people that, that might not, you know, see things from your perspective? To totally. It's, a, it's an absolute challenge. I, I, think, I think it's felt all across the television dial. Um, and there's only so much individuals can do about it. It's a collective issue, and it's a consumer issue. It's a it's a really an issue on the consumer end. Uh, you know, every time the president attacks real news outlets as fake news, the one benefit of that really dangerous thing is that it uh, it's an opportunity for media literacy. It's an opportunity to talk about like how we do our jobs and how we try to get it right and how we're trying to reach everybody and trying not to be uh, unfair and biased. Yeah, I think that there's something to be said about that kind of educational function, that media literacy function, that because um, ultimately, you know, whether you or, or your, your mom or my brother or whether those people seek out a wide range of sources, whether they eat a buffet of news, uh, it, it's all kind of up to the consumer. We have more power than ever as individual readers and viewers, and it's about how we uh, sometimes use that power. You touched on something I wanted to get into, just to kind of uh, make a bit of a left turn here. Your reaction when you heard about the ESPN layoffs from a couple weeks ago? That this is uh, a reshaping that we're seeing across cable. That uh, we saw a version of this at CNN. We've seen versions of this at other cable channels. And at ESPN, it gets a lot of attention because the ESPN, the brand, gets a lot of attention. That these cable newsrooms or these cable entities are having to reshape themselves because of the trends that we're seeing in the business. Uh, it's unfortunate, but um, maybe unavoidable, you know, to, to be seen it happen. What, what was your reaction? Uh, it's, it's interesting seeing what has happened with ESPN over the course of the last couple few years. 
it's hard to know how much of it is an issue with them. Uh, Colin Coward spoke after the fact about how some of the contracts, their NBA contract, NFL contract, um, kind of left them a little bit handcuffed financially. Right. So it's hard to know how much it's it's that and how much it's, like you said, an overall trend within the industry. Um, you know, I, I think they'll always be the worldwide leader, but it can be difficult to know exactly what to think of them just because this this entity that seemed like an untouchable juggernaut clearly isn't that anymore. And the reason why I link it to these broader industry trends is just to make the point that, you know, the next few years for the cable business are going to be stressful, right? And ESPN is trying to prep for that just the way that, that CNN and others are trying to prep for that. Um, that I, I, I see a reshaping happening in these newsrooms, uh, bringing in more digital talent, uh, sometimes, you know, letting go higher paid talent that had been there for a while. We, we certainly saw that at ESPN uh, recently. Um, but but I, I agree with your, your point that some of this is specific to the sports business and to these contracts that have been signed, that, that they're, that, like you said, that they're handcuffs of a kind. That um, Isn't that what ESPN's watching, though? Right? Isn't, I mean, ESPN, sorry, what viewers are watching. That viewers are caring most about the games at ESPN. So it makes sense those are the deals that are most valuable, right? Yeah, I, I think the NFL one is a tough one because – the the property they have is Monday Night Football, and the ratings have been dropping for Monday Night Football. You know, they don't have the Sunday afternoons, which are obviously an institution for sports fans everywhere. So that, you know, NBC, mm. CBS, NFL, uh, um, uh, Fox, you know, have those rights. And so it's a big money contract, obviously, because it's the NFL, but maybe they don't reap the benefits of it the same way that those other networks do that have it on Sundays. You know what I mean? Mm, right. And, and, right. And NBA, you know, it's obviously a big deal. There's a loyal fan base, but it's just not as powerful as the NFL. So I think that right. that plays into it, too. Um, so it's interesting. And it'll be interesting to see kind of with the, with the cutbacks, um, you know, what direction they go. You know, how they continue to reshape their content, what they prioritize, um, because I think it's, you know, it's it's changed over the years. Um, you know, Sports Center doesn't look the same now as it used to. And their their content and their programming through the course of the day looks different than it did, you know, five, ten years ago. So uh, it doesn't that have most isn't that mostly due to the Internet? Isn't that mostly due to folks getting information on the web during the day? So Absolutely. television has to be something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys. I mean, to me, to me, that's the, one of the biggest stories of of my beat. You know, covering media, every single newsroom in the world has to evolve because of the web. Has to be something different on TV because of the web. CNN's so different on television than it was 15 years ago because of the web, and we don't always connect those dots. I think sufficiently. That, uh, that the Internet is your primary source of everything. Your phone, really. It's probably the better way to say it is your phone is your primary source. So every other screen has to do something different. Yeah, I wanted to get into that with you as it pertains to local news. I mean, you grew up as a local news junkie, right? I did, I did. Um, so it, it's one thing for the ESPNs and the CNNs. I mean, it's a, it's a struggle for the major networks in their own way. But the fact of the matter is you guys are on 24 hours uh, with ESPN, it's either or games or different programming. Um, you know, for you guys, it's it's a different story. But you're always there. You're always present. I could turn you on at any point in the day, 
and get some sort of content. For for the local stations, I work for a CBS affiliate. You know, you have your newscast times and not everybody is sitting down at 6 and 11 o'clock because they've gotten the news a variety of different ways through the course of the day. And so it's having the digital presence, but at the same time, you have to preserve these newscasts. You've seen the impact that's had from when you and I were kids watching the news. I remember every morning before yeah. school watching the news. Uh, it, it's just different now. How do you think uh, the the local affiliates will be impacted by that going forward? Like what, what oh, will the role of those, question. those, those newscasts be five, 10, 15 years from now? Will they yeah, even exist? That's a big question. Uh, well, here's why I think they'll exist. Um, I think we're going to always have some form of uh, linear, you know, live to everyone at the same time stream of news and talk uh, accessible on your phone or on a bigger screen with, you know, guys and, and girls sitting in front of the camera talking to you and, and with a, on a one-to-one basis. I think that, that thing, whether we call it television news or not, there will always be a form of that uh, because it serves some basic human needs, number one being companionship. Uh, you know, think about morning television and morning TV giving people a sense of having someone there with them at that kind of <laughs> vulnerable time in the day where you're getting dressed and, and making breakfast. You want to have that companion. Uh, so I think there are these basic functions of what we now call local television news that will exist in some form. Uh, not to say we but, – but, but there's improvements that can and should be made to the product, and there are you know, evolutions in the way it will be delivered. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's the way I see it. it you know, I, I guess to me the, the biggest value add still for anybody in, in TV, whether it's local or national or anything, is to report something new. Tell me something I didn't know and tell me, tell me, tell me it in a, in a uh, compelling, uh, approachable way. So there's always going to be need, a need for those people, right, to tell you something you didn't know, whether that's my wife doing traffic here in New York. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I think there's that. But let's take my wife as a good example, I guess. Will there need to be the same kind of traffic reports on television in 20 years? I'm going to guess no, right? I'm going to guess most of the cars will be self-driving. The cars will know the traffic. There won't be a need for her to stand in front of a map and point at the uh, the highway. However, there could be other needs related to traffic or related to self-driving cars that could make her beat really interesting. So she's going to – and we've talked about this a lot sort of as a a family that's about to grow. How do we stay ahead of those trends? Yeah, I guess it's adjusting the content to, like you said, the uh, what, what's available, how how things have changed in real life, adjusting to that in how we deliver the news, which, you know, we're, it's it maybe a slower process than uh, it should be at times. But that's that's the challenge, especially now when things change at such a drastic clip. I mean, it's hard to keep on top of things. It is. It's absolutely hard to keep up, but there's a hunger for information. I thought about this the other day with uh, there was a fire in my old neighborhood in, in Manhattan, and, uh, and I wanted to know more about what happened. You know, it was, it was reported at 11 a.m. I read the story at noon, and I wish there had been a link on that webpage to say, hey, when you get more information, send me an email, send me a text, send me an alert. I want to know what happened in this, in this case. Keep me updated until we find out the cause, until we find out who died, until we find out what's being done about it. There's not that kind of ability right now to interact with local news sources, at least not to the degree that I think there should be. Hmm. But there's so much room to create new stuff right there. Um, people have such an intimate connection with their communities, or their towns, or their neighborhoods, 
And I don't think there's a lot of great news outlets serving it in a way that people want right now. So there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there for, for companies and entrepreneurs that want to take it, grab it, go with it. And you don't think that's just because you're a bit of an old soul and, and you have that connection with the news like <laughs> like like uh, some people don't? I mean, I, I don't know that, you know, everybody... Sure, not everybody does. Not everybody does, but a lot of people do. If you hear sirens in the middle of the night, and you wonder what happened? Sure. There should be a way to find out, right? If if, if you if you uh, you know um, kind of you consume news like a sponge, you hear something secondhand, and you want to know if it's true. There should be a way to ask your Amazon Alexa, you know, voice app if it's true or not, and then have a trusted local source tell you. Um, I think everybody wants some news, right? <laughs> I might want more than others. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Twitter, um, something near and dear to, to both our hearts and, and essential to what we do on a regular basis. Uh, there, there's been some interesting developments. There's the Bloomberg deal, right? I don't know how much you know you can you can tell us about that, your understanding of of their deal with them to basically have what they wanted, like basically a 24 hour news broadcast feed, some That's something right. along those lines, right? Yeah, this gets to the idea I was saying about there's always going to be room for like a, you know, a live linear feed of what's going on in the world. So, so Bloomberg is going to provide that to Twitter. Right now, Bloomberg on TV, of course, is mostly business news, kind of wonky. Bloomberg is going to provide a more general news service to Twitter, uh, a little bit like CNN or MSNBC. I would argue it'll probably be, be uh, cheaper, uh, might not be as, as, as strong, but they're going to provide that to Bloomberg. Uh, so it'll be streaming in the – sorry, provide that to Twitter. So it'll be streaming in the corner of Twitter at all times. Because increasingly, Twitter wants to be not a Facebook, which it knows it cannot become, but more of a news app, uh, something, some, some app you go to when, when news is happening. And, you know, that live 24-hour feed uh, it makes a lot of sense, I, I think, to have something like that available at all times. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and they've, they've bought up a bunch of rights, um, you know, to broadcast sports yeah. live. They did some NFL right. games, I think. Uh, they've got PGA and WNBA deals can that can that save Twitter? I and mean, we always hear about um, <laughs> the, the struggles of Twitter, uh, its struggles to to make money um, and to evolve and to adapt and kind of find its niche other than this stream of tweets that comes from a lot of professionals to a lot of professionals, right? I mean, it's a lot of it is just kind of us talking to ourselves. Uh, do, it's do you, a giant chat room for the media. It's that's a right. giant chat room for the media. And that's not you know, entirely true. There's, there's people from all walks of life uh, that are on it, but you know, f I think for me and probably for you too, it, it, it feels very vibrant. It feels very alive, but I guess our experience is probably different than 95% of the people that are actually on Twitter. So it, it, <laughs> right. I think it's very hard to get on if you're, if you're new and you want to try it out for the first time today and having these live videos, these streams, are, are a way to bring people through the door. I see right now as we're talking, they have a Twitter show about the NBA that's streaming in the corner of Twitter. Maybe the end game here is for Twitter to become a new version of a cable distributor uh, where you're paying a certain amount per month and getting um, you know, all these channels from Twitter that are easy to access. And then in real time, there's this chat going on in the corner about what you're watching together. Um, I think that's one of the, it's going to be one of the big stories of the next decade or so is is the re the rebundling of of TV, um, new ways to pay for a monthly bundle, in a way that feels more convenient, feels friendlier, feels more worth your 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 money, because right now the the complaint about cable is that it's too expensive and and that it's too hard to get. Uh, I think increasingly we're going to see these better versions of cable, 
they won't be a cable, but we'll call them cable. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. buy them through AT&T or Verizon or Hulu or something, and it'll give you more of what you want uh, more accessibly. I think you know Twitter might be on a, a similar path. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, about cord cutting and, and how it impacts, you know, going back to the discussion about ESPN, um, you know, some of the cutbacks are because of that industry-wide trend. How, how does the, I, from a monetary standpoint, you know, when, when people are paying for a Comcast as opposed to paying for a Hulu TV or YouTube TV, what are the rights contractually, how, how does that work um, as, as far as those subscription dollars being far less getting then paid out to the networks? Yeah, I think that the big media companies, the five or six really big media companies, are trying to strike deals with these new distributors that are uh, as good or better than they are with, say, Comcast or Charter or Dish T- or, or DirecTV. So we're, we're seeing them try to, to set terms that are going to be just as friendly. At the same time, though, we're seeing smaller channels go by the wayside in these bundles. So, you know, ask me in five years, we'll see where we are in terms of folks. How many folks are still signed up for big bundles that we mostly get today versus these smaller, friendlier, more digital bundles. Um, my bet, and I could be completely wrong, but my bet is that most people are w- willing to pay a monthly price for a bundle of channels and, and access to shows if it's convenient and if it's user-friendly and if it doesn't feel like a huge burden or a pain in the butt. Um, maybe I'll be proven wrong. You know, Maybe young people will decide that YouTube is, and Netflix is enough, but I, I don't think so. I, I think folks are content hungry they're 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 voracious consumers they're sort of monsters when it comes to wanting to watch stuff all the time and uh if media companies can prove the value of that monthly bundle and make it easy to get i think most people will still pay for it how different does everything look now i uh hate to kind of uh uh, go too deep into the reality of our situations but we're uh, a couple weeks now from our 10-year graduation uh anniversary i guess 2007. Uh, Could could you have imagined how things look looked uh, in 2007? You know, in terms of the way they do now. Oh my goodness! All right, let's go back there real real fast. So, 2007, (laughs) George W. Bush is really unpopular and he's on the way out, and uh, it looks like it's going to be Barack Obama, but no one knows uh, yet. Uh, In 2007, uh, some people are starting to use Twitter, but it's it's relatively new and. In 2007, you know, the nightly newscasts are a big deal, but they're declining. Uh, 2007, BuzzFeed is sort of a website no one's heard of yet that has <laughs> a lot of listicles. Um, and the iPhone is just being introduced. And of all those, you know, factors, I think the iPhone is the biggest mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. I think smartphones, you know, that probably is the single biggest change in the last 10 years um, because those phones – have moved us from a desktop internet world to a mobile internet world. They've made it a lot easier for everybody to be connected all the time, made it a lot easier for you to access random, obscure stories about some stupid college doing some stupid anti-free speech thing that makes you think that all colleges are are bad. Or, you know, conversely, it lets you get the access to some sort of story about a crazy racist Trump supporter that then makes you think all Trump supporters are are bad. The web has allowed us to... See the best of humanity, but also the worst. And I, I come back to my the phones being a lot of that, you know, because smartphones are so intimate, they're so personal, the, things are so shareable on them. To me, the biggest change has been that it's been those phones. Uh, we gave people these incredible we <laughs> Apple, let's say Apple and mm-hmm. Facebook <laughs> gave people the world's most incredible tools, these best technology known to man. 
but we're still trying to figure out how to use it and how not to be abused by it. I, I don't know. That, that's certainly how I feel 10 years later. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, I, like these phones sort of control us yeah. or, uh, unless, unless, we, unless we stop it. Um, these phones, I, I would love to study how much of an impact Facebook and smartphones had on the election in 2016, meaning not fake news and people getting tricked by fake sure. news, but just the ability to be connected to everyone and the ability to, to live in your own bubble if you so choose, your ability to, to rant and rave on your Facebook wall to your friends. Um, your ability to to get information in bite-sized fashion like that, it's had these profound effects on our on our society. And you know, ten years ago, the I think you know the iPhone was just being introduced. There were no other smartphones yet. You know, people weren't. The idea of us watching television on our phones was was a joke. And all of a sudden, now it's the norm, um, and it's happened really fast. And and attention spans have suffered as a as a result. I mean that that's part of the challenge <laughs> as well, right? Because I mean, how how do you keep people's attention for more than thirty seconds to a minute, much less you know fifteen to twenty minutes? These phones, these tools, these these social networks—they are rewiring our brains. Um, you know, for a lot of people, Facebook is the internet, especially in other countries hmm. where internet access is expensive and, and hard to, to gain. Facebook is their internet. That's all they know of the internet is Facebook. Um, the, you know, I find myself thinking a lot about w- what that relationship is going to be like for us individually to this massive social network um, that, that has these massive impacts. And you know, for us in college, Facebook was was really just a way to check out girls. It was really just a way <laughs> to get a hold of people and post party pictures. Sure. I mean, it, yeah. it it was not at all what it is now. Um, Facebook now wants to be you know, a cable operator wants to have wants to have movies and TV shows. Uh, it, it wants to compete like that, and because it wants to, it will. It has the power to to do whatever it wants at this point. Yeah, I really struggle with it, to be honest. I I, I don't reside very much on Facebook anymore. Twitter has kind of become my Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think there's a lot of people that kind of feel the same way. Um, right. Because it can be a frustrating experience, regardless of who your friends are, regardless of uh, what's on your feed, whether it's uh, especially during a political season, um, sometimes it can just be frustrating to to scroll through, and it's like, why why am I doing this with my time right now? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's that, that's that echo chamber that you're you're sort of choosing to listen to. I I really enjoyed putting Twitter down for a week when I went on vacation in March, um, and uh, and logging back on and thinking, okay, I didn't miss as much as I thought I would. So what's, uh, what's next for you? What do you have coming down the line that we can be looking out for? A baby and uh, a social, <laughs> that's, na- a social that's the most media announcement. Um, who knows after that? Yeah. Will you take some time? <laughs> I will, but I don't know how yet. Yeah. I, um, uh, I don't want to miss uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we have paternity leave policy here at, at CNN. I don't necessarily want to miss the news cycle for that long at a time. So I'd like to be able to um, to work a little less hard, be home with the baby a bit more, but still be involved in our in our coverage this summer. I'll probably let the newsletter. I'll probably give up the newsletter leash for a little <laughs> bit and and uh, and have some of the other writers take the lead on it this summer. Um, but. You know, given given where we are in the news cycle, the future of Fox News, 
those sorts of stories. I don't, I don't want to be a, to be away for that long. Well, and you and I have spoken about how even just keeping the show fresh when you're going once a week can be a challenge. Like putting together a story on Friday sometimes feels dated on a Sunday, right? Definitely. And so and just the challenge of staying, yeah, and so the challenge of staying on top of things and having a fresh perspective, I'm sure it made it hard when you put down Twitter for a week to go on vacation and and even much more when something as important as a baby comes around and and demands your attention on a regular basis. Right, that's right, definitely. You know, I hadn't I hadn't realized until just now that our, our, I'm going to have a kid for the first time almost exactly 10 years of the day after college graduation. That's a weird thought. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you uh, they got me thinking about the 10-year anniversary. You timed that well. Yeah, I, maybe, I mean, it feels like a long time, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, uh, there were <laughs> a lot of, lot of things in the last 10 years that I'm glad I was able to do um, uh, before, before having a, a baby arrive. Um, I have. I'm try, I only have very hazy memories of graduation. Actually, I'm trying to think back. Was it in the Towson Tigers Arena? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was very I, warm I that day. Of, I sort of picture it. I sort of picture taking pictures afterwards. I think my family went down to the Inner Harbor for lunch afterwards. Yeah, we did the same thing. Uh, Rusty yeah, Scupper. It's, it's a little bit blurry, but maybe it'll come back to me now that you're jogging my memory. Well, I, you know, I, I wanted to. Um, I was I was hoping to maybe get you on again at some point down the line just to kind of talk about your background. There there was enough going on in the media world that I kind of wanted to pick your brain on that. Um, but I, I know not everybody kind of knows your story and your background and you know how you got a job at the New York Times out of college, something that not a lot of people do. And then obviously having your show on CNN, um, you know, I have people ask me from time to time. They find out that. Um, we know each other, went to school together. Like, how'd that guy get a show, you know, an, you know, before he was 30 at, at CNN? I mean, these things don't happen too, too normally. And so I, I don't know. You'd have a better idea. I know there was, was it the Wall Street Journal just did a story on you pretty recently? The, the Washington Post did, yeah. It was, it was nice because it was sort of a hometown paper story. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out the answer to how. I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I, you know, I was, was lucky to be able to, uh, to jump to the Times Ten years ago, they, this was when I was in talks with them. Sort of this time, ten years ago, I very vividly remember waking up one morning after a, uh, a very uh, a raucous party uh, and almost missing my train to New York for my job interview at the Times. Uh, maybe being a little bit hungover on the train up to the city, um, but in some ways, maybe that uh, helped me because I wasn't too, um, I wasn't overthinking it. I wasn't, you were <laughs> otherwise relaxed, I would have walked in ease. there stressed out trying to impress them. And instead I walked in a little bit, um, groggy. Was that a tower light? Year but it worked party? out. I think it probably was. I'm not going to name names of who I was with the <laughs> night before, but, uh, but I just, um, you know, there, there was something very special about the, the times even being interested in me. I, I, you know, for the listeners who don't know, I had this blog in college and the Times hired me uh, to kind of keep blogging for them as a result. It kind of goes back to reshaping of newsrooms, which we were talking about earlier. Ten years ago, the Times needed to reshape its newsroom with more digital people, more you know, web kids, basically, like myself. And we're kind of seeing versions of that happening still now ten years later. 
Well, it's a credit to you because not not all kids are as productive on you know a winter break freshman year you know <laughs> in in their in their mom's house you know screwing around on the computer and and you actually turned it into something. So I'm lucky I didn't make many friends my first semester. So I was bored <laughs> over winter break. Facebook wasn't around yet. There weren't as many distractions. And Facebook wasn't back around then. yet, right? So I had to launch a blog. Exactly. Everything changed for you and I sophomore year. Facebook came around. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I didn't have an iPhone or anything before that. Yeah. Yeah, no, but you're right. To me, the turning points were, were Facebook, and then a year later, having Wi-Fi on campus was a big deal for mm. me because I could have my laptop and I could work in class all the time. Yeah, and it just kind of <laughs> took off from there. Well, I, w- I would love to get into that with you at some point. Um, I, I appreciate right, your time. next time. Next time. Um, but again, really appreciate your time. Um, good luck with everything. Enjoy the show, and... Uh, Thank you. Enjoy uh, having having no shortage of interesting content that that people are kind of starving for. It I would imagine that makes it pretty easy, a little bit easier when you go to the office every day. It does. It makes it uh, fascinating. And uh, happy ten year anniversary. Happy ten year anniversary. <laughs> Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks.